1: Menopause is coming and the men of all left town, but I'm not giving up until I see that baby crown. Thirty-nine and single, can someone help me out? He could be bald and bearded, shorter or tall, funny, smart, love basketball, From gay, straight, black or white, tiny eyes with an underbite. I just Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to bring you this episode. First, we have my transfer, and then we're going to be speaking to Reverend Dr. Stacey Edwards Dunn. But before that, I want to give a big thank you to my latest Patreon subscribers, Candace S. and Angela G. Thank you both so much for your generous contributions, subscriptions. Thank you. And Becky G., thank you so much for raising your subscription. All of you... Combined lately, I don't know what's going on, but somehow I'm up to $964 and I'm starting to feel pretty good about myself. Now, if you all want to get it up to $1,000, I'm not going to stop you. How do you do that? Well, you go to patreon.com forward slash spermcast and you subscribe for $2 a month, for $5 a month, $10 a month, $25, however much money you want to give every month. You'll be funding this podcast and making all my fertility treatments possible. In fact, I have to tell you all, I sort of let my money sit in the Patreon bank for a while and so I hadn't collected it since like February and this week I got to transfer over $4,000 to my bank account with which I paid my credit card bill with which I paid for my transfer. So... You are literally directly funding this podcast, but also my fertility treatments and hopefully my pregnancy and child. (laughs) So, really, you're making a huge difference in my life. So, thank you once again. And now, are you ready to go to the transfer? Let's go.
0: Hi. Are you feeling ready hello sure yeah. yeah okay good so both embryos survived beautifully they unfroze them this morning okay so we're going to transfer to um, you know what's going to happen when we go in there. First thing is an um, embryologist is just going to confirm your name, of, name and date of birth. They'll ask you to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. And then you'll look up on the screen and they'll show you a close-up of your lid that contains the, uh, the, of the dish that contains your embryos right now. You just have to confirm that that information is correct. It'll be your name and date of birth also. And we'll place your legs in stirrups. There's going to be an yeah. ultrasound probe on your stomach. How's your bladder feeling? Full? It's been full for
1: too long. <laughs> full for too long. I mean, I, I actually, she let me pee
0: a little okay. bit. Okay, yeah, I'd um, rather you be comfortable.
1: I need it full because it helps me see the uterus better yeah. and helps straighten the angle. But Funny story, I was all prepped for my transfer, and the nurse came over to do a little ultrasound to, to check out my bladder, and she lifted up my gown, and I was still wearing my underwear. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but you're not supposed to wear your underwear for an embryo transfer. Um,
0: basically, there'll be an ultrasound put on your stomach. I'll put a speculum in, clean off the cervix, mm-hmm. place a catheter in the cervix. Mm-hmm. Once the catheter's in the cervix, I'll say, okay, we're ready to load. And then they'll show us the embryos up on the big TV screen, which is always like an exciting you know, moment. Then they'll hand me the embryos, and I'll place them into the uterus under ultrasound yeah. guidance. Okay? Perfect. The whole thing will take maybe 10 minutes, cool. and then you can empty your bladder, and then you can lay here for another 30 minutes just to relax sure. and then go home. Okay. You ready? Yeah. All right, let's Happy do it. That, that they
1: are okay. They are
0: good. <laughs> they did really well with the freezing balances.
1: Okay. okay. Oh,
0: yeah. All right. Little fighters.
1: Okay. Little fighters. <laughs> yep. All right. I'm going to see you in there. Okay. They'll bring you in a second. Thank you. So then I went into the room and hopped up on the table and looked up at the screen.
0: Ready to ID the patient's label? Oh, <laughs> that's me. Nice. Ooh. That's my name.
1: This is to make sure they don't put somebody else's embryos inside of me. Very, very important stuff. So I got in position, and it was time to go.
0: Molly, first thing you're gonna do is just my fingers on the outside and the speculum, okay? Just like we're gonna do a Pap smear.
1: Okay, so, once the speculum is in there, she's taking a look at my cervix to make sure it's coated with progesterone because I've been doing these vaginal suppositories. Great job
0: with the progesterone <clears throat> coating the cervix nicely, so I'm going to just take a few minutes or a few seconds rather. To just clean off the cervix. Just, a little pressure from the cotton ball.
1: At this point, the nurse gets the ultrasound thingy dingy ready so that she can take a look at my bladder and my uterus through my belly. Real cool,
0: okay? Sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Your blood is perfect, not too full, not too empty, just right. Oh. All right, so what I'm doing now is I'm placing the catheter into the cervix, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, they can load the embryos. Ready to see the embryos and start loading?
1: Now the embryologists in the other room are showing the embryos on the big screen.
0: Oh, really? oh look at the screen. You can see the embryos. Hi,
1: little guys. They're very cute. <laughs> and you guys did assisted hatching or whatever? Yes,
0: well, we thought. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I don't know if you can see this. Maybe your screen can see it, but this is the uterus here. That bright white line is my uh, catheter in the cervix. And then once they have the embryos, we're going to load another catheter that's going to spread all the way into here, and then you'll see a little blush of white, kind of like shooting stars, as they inject the embryos into the sweet spot.
1: Thank you. Perfect. So now that the catheter is in the right place, the embryologist is bringing out the embryos. They're in another tube, and they're going to insert that tube into the catheter, and then Dr. Chung is going to push the embryos out through the tip of the catheter. The embryos are in some sort of solution, I'm assuming. Yes, they are. Right right
0: now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then I see it. I see this little white sort of tiny blob sort of move into the uterus area.
0: Here's the picture. That right white spot there. That's the embryos. You can't actually see embryos on ultrasound because they're microscopic. But what we're seeing there is the air and fluid around the embryos. So that's a perfect placement. The visualization was beautiful. Perfect. Thanks to the whole bladder. So now they're checking the catheter under the microscope just to make sure it's empty, and that's how we confirm now the embryos are safely inside of your uterus. <laughs> that was beautifully lovely thank you yes you're welcome mm-hmm. cost. So as soon as they say clear out take off the speculum and then we'll let you empty your bladder
1: and then we will going have you rest for a little bit Okay. thank you thank you everybody Welcome. then I went to my little bed behind the curtains and they turned off the light and I took a little nap and it was very very nice and I went home and I watched bad movies all day and it was nice Now I just take my medications every day and wait for my beta. But I do have to say that my butt cheeks are killing me from the progesterone injections. And they never hurt me before. I've had to do this three times, including the ERA cycle. And I don't know what's going on. I got bruises on both of my butt cheeks, and they're so sore that it kept me up most of the night. I mean, I just kept, I couldn't get comfortable because I sleep on my back Anyway, the beta is Monday, July 13th, and I don't even want to think about it. So instead, let's move on to the interview. I was sitting here crafting
2: and and drinking coffee, settling my nerves for the day.
1: Oh my gosh, that sounds fun. (laughs) What are you crafting? Is that a (laughs) flip-flop?
2: Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, let me show you. Can you see him?
1: (gasps) Oh my goodness. Amazing.
2: Yeah, these little African flip-flops.
1: Oh my goodness, those are amazing.
2: (laughs) They're so fun.
1: That's the lovely Reverend Dr. Stacey Edwards Dunn. She's the founder of an organization called Fertility for Colored Girls, and she's got her own incredible fertility story that she's going to tell us all about. She was also kind enough to do this interview early on a Friday morning from her home. It just went
2: crazy like, oh, your music on your speaker. Hey, Earl, something's down here going crazy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) After we got settled, I filled Reverend Stacy in on a little bit of my story, and I ended up getting to the part about having eight eggs left over still frozen, and that originally I wanted to save all of my eggs for my future partner, but then how I ended up thawing half of them and making embryos with half, and and how I don't know what I'm going to do after this if this transfer doesn't work. I told her that I'd prefer to do IVF, but I just really don't know what's the right choice. Yeah, do another cycle and
2: retrieve some more eggs. That's what um, I feel to, like to be safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a good idea. Yeah, well, let's see what happens this time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The beauty is is that we know that you can get pregnant, and you, you know, hopefully, we won't have to worry about it after this cycle. The mm-hmm. beauty is is that you know you you still have eight eggs. We can still do an IVF cycle. Mm-hmm. As well yeah and so you got all types of options yeah and you don't and you don't necessarily have to wait for it. the spouse will come yeah if this is what you want so that will come. so don't <laughs> let that don't let that stop you. Yeah yeah, the spouse will come you know sometimes it's just not all the things that you know I think that I've learned in my life, particularly on my journey is that everything doesn't happen according to how we plan, right? But, I mean, I'm a, you know, of course, I'm clergy, and it's not being super spiritual, but I've just learned that God's plans can oftentimes be different than ours. And it's okay. We have to give God permission to, to navigate our lives the way God desires to do so. Mm-hmm. Our stories are just different. They're not They're not deficient. They're just different. It will happen how it's supposed to happen, each and every piece, so... You just keep pressing forward. She gave me some
1: more encouraging words and then we got into her story.
2: Ever since I was a little girl, I've always known I wanted to be a mother. I believe I was really born to be a mother. You know, most people that know me, I mean, I played with baby dolls. I, I mothered everything from, you know, since a very little little girl. Mm-hmm. You know, I mothered my baby dolls, I mothered my friends, <laughs> I mothered my nieces and nephews, you know, even when my sisters and brothers were giving birth to children you know I think that I was a mother and a nurturer really by it was just a part of my existence so so again it's just something that I've always wanted to do so I've never envisioned my life without children yeah and not and not just giving birth but even adopting children Mm -hmm. you know and I grew up in that type of household and so I never envisioned myself not being able to give birth because uh, particularly in the African-American community giving birth or having children, that's what we discussed. We never discussed this idea of infertility.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, also as a child, my parents also encouraged me as my other siblings to go to school, you know, start my career, get a husband and then have children. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't get married till I was 37, but still I never thought that I would have problems getting pregnant because mm-hmm. in the black community, you don't have problems getting pregnant or right. I so I would think, Right. right? And so once I got married at 37, we began to try to have children. And then we would find out that both of us were dealing with male factor and female factor infertility that would bring a price tag um, in our first discussion with the doctor of $25,000 that we were like, you know, where are we going to get that from? Right? Yeah, $25,000. So insurance wasn't going to pay anything at that particular point. And so here we were with a price tag of $25,000 to move forward with IVF also dealing with this idea of infertility that neither one of us had ever been, you know, talked talk to about, because again, this is a huge myth in our community, mm-hmm. right? We do not talk about it at all. Yeah. Black women are perceived by not only in our community, but also in this society as persons who are baby-making machines, who are hyper-fertile. And this ideology really comes from, you know, breeding myths, from slavery, you know, so many places, again, because this is just not a conversation that we have. So I would find myself, you know, of course, very devastated, trying to figure out where we were going to get this money. So in 2007, 2008, we would begin to move forward trying to figure out how we were going to build a family.
1: Quick question: Did they give you a reason for your female? V- so mine effect? was unex mine was unexplained. unexplained.
2: Okay hmm. So we, you know, we would have some conversation because, of course, at that time we had no twenty five thousand dollars and I didn't even have anybody to talk to. You yeah. know, this isn't my girlfriends weren't talking about that. Yeah. And most of most of my girlfriends at by the time I was 37, they had already had children. Mm-hmm. Right. And so because they were having children in their 20s. And so I didn't even really have anybody to talk to about it. Yeah. And so um, we did our first IVF in Barbados because, um you know, I began to do some research. I was mm-hmm. like, it has to be a cheaper way to do this. Mm-hmm. And so as I researched, I found um, found out about this IVF vacations. And so, <gasps> I, yeah, so they were doing them in Mexico. They were doing them all over and they were doing them in South Africa. Uh-huh. And then so I was, I chose to go to Barbados f- Fertility Clinic versus South Africa just because um, after doing a consultation with them, as well as my OBGYN here, I felt most comfortable with them. And I Mm -hmm. felt like they were seeing more um, women of African descent. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they had a a greater understanding of my body Mm -hmm. and they would be able to personalize the treatment. So IVF there would only cost us $7,500 versus the $25,000 here. So um, we made our way for two weeks to Barbados and it really became home for us. And Mm so we did not get pregnant. In which we were very sad because they were, fam- they were like family. You know, it was such a right. good experience. We were hoping that it would bear fruit. Yeah. So it didn't work the first time. We went back a second time. And after the second time it didn't work, we made our back to sh- way back to Chicago to do our third cycle.
1: Why didn't it work? Do you have any idea? Well,
2: we didn't have any idea. Mm-hmm. We have very good embryos mm-hmm. and everything. They just said, you know, we just have to try again. And so... Did you get to the point of
1: transfers?
2: oh yeah oh yeah okay. we we transferred eggs both times mm-hmm. we transferred to the first time to the second time and then we came back to chicago and with this new doctor that we had we transferred to there okay
1: is that a speaker Charlotte.
2: <laughs>
1: okay say oh, hi there. again hi, hi oh hi there i love your shirt is that um is that a mermaid Say i have mermaid pajamas on mermaid pajamas on. oh wearing. that's fun
2: <laughs> so, yeah, so we did. We, we transferred. There was not one time that we never we did not get embryos in all, oh. you know, in all of the cycles. Mm. And so upon my third cycle, uh, we had a great doctor. We retrieved, a, I think, about eight embryos that time. But one of my challenges, the doctor was great. But the staff, uh, we experienced a lot of racism with, the, with this doctor. And so in as much as I liked um, the doctor, I did not like the services of the staff. Yeah. And I uh, and so at that point we also it was another failed cycle although we you know we retrieved embryos. Mm-hmm. It was another
1: failed cycle and at that point we made the decision to move to a third doctor. Before you move on, is there any way you could tell me a little bit about what you experienced with racism there? Because I have a lot of, I'm assuming I have a lot of white listeners who who might benefit from hearing that about that.
2: Yeah, you know, definitely. um, I think, you know, the way that they talk, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they talk to me as if really I didn't know anything It's just the way they treat, they treated me. Mm -hmm. I just did not like how they talked to me. I, I just didn't feel like they cared right for me. Yeah. And it did not sit, you know, and I felt like it was because of the color of my skin. Yeah. And so as a result of that, I took myself as well as my money yeah. to another agency because I just didn't feel like it. I didn't feel like I was valued. Good. And so I was like, I'm going to a place. I'm going to find me a doctor that values me, values my story, values my, my you know, where I am in this journey mm-hmm. so that they can help me to build my
1: family. Are you already at this point in the clergy?
2: Uh huh. I have been yes. So okay. I was even clergy at that particular time as well. I've been ordained in the ministry since uh, 2002. Mm-hmm. I accepted my call in the ministry in 2000, and so. Um, okay. But I've been working full time at a okay. church on staff as a pastor mm-hmm. since 2002. So yes. Yeah, so even in the midst of all of this, all of that is at at, at play, right? So not only am I a woman. Mm-hmm. I'm an African American woman struggling with infertility, mm-hmm. and then I'm also a clergy woman or a minister, right? You know, I always share that um, for me, part of my challenge on my journey as well was that I was clergy. I am a pastor, and I prayed for a lot of people, and I felt like on my journey that I was able to get prayers through for everybody else, mm-hmm. but I wasn't able to get a prayer through for me yeah. as it as it pertains to this, and so. After my third cycle, we went to another doctor because around that time, I was also diagnosed with some immune issues. And one of those major immune issues really being um, lupus. Oh. And so I wanted to go to a doctor that um, really met patients where they were not only with infertility challenges, but also, you know, provide a holistic treatment.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
2: um, I had to get my lupus under control And it was a it was really a challenge when I found out I had lupus, probably really in the midst of my uh, infertility journey. For about four or five months, I was in so much pain. Molly, Mm. I would wake up in the morning. I could barely walk. I would be crawling literally to the bathroom. And so I was really I was in a lot of pain. And so what I would do before I went to work, I I was just popping Tylenol to, you know, to give me relief. At one point in my infertility journey, as well as dealing with all of these symptoms, I lost my voice for probably over a, over a month. Uh-huh. And there was a, uh, one of the pastors on the staff that I worked with. She said, you need to go to the doctor. She said, I hate to see you in so much pain. And she said, You cannot continue to suffer and live your life like this. And so,
1: had you, she, you hadn't been diagnosed yet with lupus? I had not. Nope. I was I, just. I would have gone to the doctor the first ache nope. I ever had.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh. Nope. Nope. I was not. You know, which is something, again, that African American persons deal with because mm-hmm. of our distrust in the doctors, mm-hmm. you know, just all of that. And so, I finally went to see my doctor, and I had a great doctor. Mm -hmm. And when I went in and shared my symptoms, he told me immediately. He said, I believe you have lupus. Oh, my goodness. And that's exactly what I had. And so...
1: Okay, I know of lupus, but I don't know much about it. So, lupus is a systemic autoimmune disease that occurs when your body's immune system attacks your own tissue and organs. Inflammation caused by lupus can affect many different body systems, including your joints, skin, kidneys, blood cells, brain, heart, and lungs. It's super complicated to diagnose because the symptoms are so diverse, They might include fatigue, fever, joint pain, stiffness, and swelling. Some people experience a butterfly-shaped rash on the face. Uh, You can get skin lesions from, from sun exposure. Fingers and toes turn white or blue when exposed to cold or during stressful periods. Shortness of breath, chest pain, dry eyes, headaches, confusion, and memory loss. And they don't really know what causes it, but they do know that people that have an inherited predisposition, there are some things that can trigger it, like sunlight, sun exposure, infections, and certain types of medications. It's much more common in women, and it is much more common in African Americans, Hispanics, and Asian Americans. While there's no cure for lupus, current treatments focus on improving quality of life through controlling symptoms and minimizing flare-ups. This begins with lifestyle modifications, including sun protection and diet. Further disease management includes medications such as anti-inflammatories and steroids. You know, we began to work into my
2: treatment plan, you know, medications for that lupus. And then, of course, you know, now working around, working around that really a holistic treatment plan for me with my lupus as well as dealing with infertility. Mm, That's a lot. Yeah. So it, it was a lot. So. You know, in the midst of all of this, one of the things that was happening was, you know, again, I had nowhere really to go, nobody to talk to. There were a number of people that were coming to me seeking counseling for infertility Mm -hmm. and miscarriages who had no idea that I was struggling. But I really felt like um, God was it was a divine orchestration that God was sending these people to me Mm -hmm. um, to talk to me who felt like they had nowhere to go, not only within their within their communities, but then also within their church, they were trying to seek out spiritual direction mm-hmm. regarding what was happening in their lives. But little did they know that I was struggling with the same thing and how their stories would be a blessing to me and also be healing for me, but also cat- serve as a catalyst for me to give birth to something mm-hmm. else. Um, and so... You know, I continued and I continued. And um, even during that point, as I continue to get treatment for my lupus, I ultimately even made the decision to go to what would be my um, fourth and final doctor. Wow. Who would say to me, there has to be a reason that you're not getting pregnant, you know, not just with the lupus. And so she was like, you know, I'm going to put you under and we're going to do some exploratory work and figure out what's going on. Yeah. And so Molly, let me tell you what happened. (laughs) So this doctor, Dr. Elena Trukacheva, who I believe is one of the greatest doctors in this country, yes. she decided to put me to sleep. I woke up. She said, has anyone ever told you that you have one fallopian tube? I said, absolutely not.
1: D- nobody ever looked into the, that?
2: The technician, when they did the original um, basic um, you know, exam, HSG, all of those things mm-hmm. in the beginning, they never told me. They told me that I had two fallopian tubes. She said, has anyone ever told you that you had a unicornate uterus? I said, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. So even at that point, my, she's like, your uterus is much smaller. It's the shape of a banana. It's not the size of a regular uterus. Wow! And so she began to, you know, we began to make some assumptions about what possibly, bec- possibly could have been happening in the first five IVF cycles oh. based upon how my uterus, you know, and the transfer that was occurring. There was a number of things that could have been happening.
1: So were you ever testing pregnant or? Not yet. I had never Mm. become pregnant. And so it
2: could have been, could have easily been that they were transferring embryos in the wrong place. Mm. It could have been a number of things, Mm -hmm. you know, because I had great embryos. The doctor said they were great embryos, Mm -hmm. but they just were not Mm implanting. I had no fibroids. At that point, the doctor made the decision to um, identify equipment for me. Mm -hmm. You know, we did for my six in vitro cycle, she did a mock transfer Mm because she wanted to make sure, you know, she was transferring the embryos into the right place.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, You said the word unicornate? It's a
2: unicornate uterus. And so it means it's in it. So it's in the, my uterus is in a shape, looks like almost like a banana.
1: Wow. I've I've heard a lot of different words about, I've heard of bicornuate and I've heard of heart, wait. Just uterine no, right. septum. So, this is a yeah. new word for me. Thank you. I'm going to yeah, look, yeah. look it up. Well, this is exciting, everybody. A new word. A unicornate uterus, or maybe it might be unicornuate, it's spelled with a U, it represents a uterine malformation where the uterus is formed from only one of the paired Mullerian ducts, while the other Mullerian duct does not develop, or only in a rudimentary fashion. A unicornate uterus can sometimes have a single horn linked to the epsilateral fallopian tube that faces its ovary. So basically, it's... Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Okay, so first there's... I'm having a lot of moments right now. (laughs) Okay, so... First, we have a uterine septum. That's the first thing we learned about with Hannah's episode so long ago. Then we learned about the bicornuate uterus from, I think, maybe Shelly Gossman. And we also heard about it in the episode with Pamela Hirsch with the uh, Baby, Baby Love, Baby Grant Foundation. Is that what it was called? Okay, so... The uterine septum, that's just sort of it comes down a little bit into the uterine cavity, this septum. Then with a the bicornuate uterus, we have the heart-shaped uterus. And then there's something called, hold on, uterus digafus, which I have to look up. Oh, okay, so it's a malformation where the uterus is present as a paired organ when the embryogenic fusion of the mullerian ducts fails to occur. As a result, there is a double uterus with two separate services and possibly a double vagina as well. And this is what we learned about in Gracie's episode two weeks ago. I mean, it's all coming together, people. So if I'm getting this right, and I totally might not be because I'm not going to spend the time looking it up, We have these Mullerian ducks... Okay, I'm going to look it up. Okay, this is cool. So, the Mullerian ducks are the primordial annlage of the female reproductive tract. Okay, and so I had to look up anlage, and anlage means the rudimentary basis of a particular organ or other part, especially in an embryo. Okay, so back to Müllerian ducts. Müllerian ducts are the primordial anlage of the female reproductive tract. They differentiate to form the fallopian tubes, uterus, the uterine cervix, and the superior aspect of the vagina. Okay, so this makes sense. So any of these things, the uterine septum, the bicornuate uterus, the uterus didelphus, and the unicornate uterus all come from the Mullerian ducts. They're supposed to fuse together, but they don't fuse for some reason, or they they don't fuse correctly, causing any of these uterine malformations. I think this has been an adventure.
2: You know, she went all out to make sure that she was personalizing the way that she would do my transfer. And so on my sixth transfer, I too, like you, I actually experienced, you know, I got positive pregnancy test results back. Mm -hmm. Um, The doctors were like, you know, we don't know how it's going to last, how long they Mm -hmm. said, because they could tell that the numbers were not, you know, my HCG numbers were not high. My Mm -hmm. beta was not high. And so I would find out a few weeks later that, you know, it was not a viable pregnancy. Of course, at that sixth IVF, I was devastated. At that point, I was in I probably was in the darkest place in my journey ever. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. And so two things happened around that time is that um, that was 2012. That's when I I felt like God was really speaking to me about starting Fertility for Colored Girls. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So in March of 2013, I did start Fertility for Colored Girls after much prayer. I had a girlfriend that sat on the phone with me and helped me to get all my paperwork done. For FFCG and what's that? Um, an
1: organization F- sort of status. Yes,
2: yeah, you know, all of my, you know, submit all my non for profit, yeah. yeah, and all of my stat, you know, all of my organization status here here in the city of Illinois. She helped me to get all of that done for the business, Great. And so, in March of twenty thirteen, we opened up. I had a big launch. Over a hundred people showed up for this event, and then people began to come out of the woodworks as they begin to see information yeah. about you know, FFCG, and asking, can we start a location in their city? Now, oh, now to-
1: I'm understanding the acronym, Fertility, <laughs> yeah, for, f- color. fertility for
2: color Girls. I yeah, thought that FFC- was some
1: sort of status for like a no, tax organization no, no. situation. FFCG.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a short for FFC, for Fertility for
1: color Girls. Get girl. it, get it. So at this point, had you started talking publicly about your infertility yet? I had not. You just I started not. this and out of the blue. Yep, I had not started sharing, wow.
2: and I did not share till I launched. You know, till I shared fertility for color girls. Wow! And I believe honestly to this day that God needed me to do this and give birth to FFCG before I gave birth wow. to a child.
1: Interesting.
2: Uh huh. And because I, I, I really believe that you know, fertility for color girls is a life-giving organization in so many ways. Right? Not just in helping people to give birth, but you know restoring life back to the minds and the hearts and the souls of the women and couples who are struggling on this journey. Cause yeah. this, this journey is so devastating. And so I started the organization then at a time that in the, I was very, um, you know, it, it was very raw for me. I was, I was very vulnerable at this time because I had just had that, that first positive, I got a positive beta, but I would find out that it was really unsuccessful you know, yeah. they would call me and say, Hey, your numbers are dropping. Ugh. Um, we're gonna have to try again, Mommy. and so I was very, very Mommy, vulnerable I'm <laughs> <poor>. okay, <laughs> okay, Shiloh, I'm almost done, and so, um Mommy, hang on. <laughs> so yeah, so I thought only thought we would be in Chicago, but um, you know now in twenty twenty we are now in thirteen locations, and we'll be in twenty locations by the end of this year, Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, That's so yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, but not too long after that, after uh, March of 2013, we decided to start with adoption.
0: Uh-huh.
2: We paid our fee for, you know, our down payment to move forward with adoption, had our first meeting with the adoption agency. My husband was like, I think we need to pause for a few minutes and be prayerful. And so we took like two months to, you know, just to be prayerful and reflect about where we were. And then um, one day, just out of the blue, he came back and said, I think we should. It was about October. He said, I think we should do it again, because I think if we do it one more time, we're going to get pregnant. I said, you think so? (laughs) And he said, this time we're going to do it different. I need you to take off work and I need you to only focus on having this baby. And so that's what I did. I took off work for 30 days. I did nothing. Mm -hmm. I just focused on this because it also was totally out of pocket. Mm-hmm. It was going to be very expensive. And um, December of November, December of 2013, we began to move forward with our seventh cycle, which and was going still to be our with your
1: favorite doctor, still with my favorite
2: doctor. You want to give her a shout out again? Dr. Elena Trukacheva, <laughs> who told me at that six, that sixth one that um, we actually received positive results that did not end up into a viable pregnancy when I was so devastated One of the things she said to me, she said, I know you, she cried with me too. She she wept with me. She said, I know you're devastated. You know, we worked so hard, you know, to, and you know, you've been through so much. She said, but what I do want you to know, she said, I have hope. Mm -hmm. And she said, I have hope now. She said, because I know you can get pregnant. Mm -hmm. She said, that's the thing. We know you can get pregnant. We just got to get you pregnant and keep you pregnant. Mm -hmm. So she too was giving us a, you know, a lot of hope. She's just such an amazing doctor all the way around.
1: Yeah. And how how old were you at this point, do you think? I was 41.
2: Wow. okay. I think I was 41 at that time. I'm 41, too. Yeah. So, yeah, I was 41 because I was 42 when I went through the seventh cycle. Okay. So we would go through that cycle. And then in January 2014, on January 2nd at 2.30, they would call us. Mm -hmm. Uh, And literally, Molly, when I tell you the dog stopped in his tracks, (laughs) Like he knew we were Gary to get some news, and it was it was a whole group of people screaming on the phone telling us that we were pregnant. Uh-huh. And our our beta numbers were so high. Oh my goodness! And so they were so excited. They were telling us how they too had prayed with us. They said we we want you to know we wanted you to be pregnant, probably if not more. More than you wanted to be pregnant. So they, you know, even the lab, the person that works in the lab that I'm very close with at this office told Mm -hmm. me how she had had prayed over our embryos. Aw. You know, I, I believe that my daughter, who is now five and a half years old, she made it to us not only because we prayed, and I believe also that the ancestors
0: mm.
2: who had transitioned through the veil of time had pleaded to God on our behalf to let God know it was time for us to have a child mm-hmm. and to send Shiloh. I also believe we had a village of people who were praying with us and for us who we had no idea <laughs> that were praying. So yeah. she, she, she is a part of our lives because God bless you, Shiloh. <laughs> she is a part of our lives because there were so many people that were rooting And praying with us in the spirit realm to get her here. And God sent her exactly when it was time and when we were prepared to bless you to receive her. And so she was born in September of 2014, September 11th. And her name, Shiloh, means the one sent by God. Oh. Yeah, so name. she's a spe- special gift to us. Yeah. But I do believe that Fertility for Colored Girls, whose mission is to provide education, awareness, and support and encouragement to African-American women and couples and other women of color um, who are struggling with infertility, seek to build the families of their dreams. Yeah. And so we provide educational programs, both live in states, as well as webinars, so that women... And couples from all over the world can get, you know, um, be educated about um, their fertility journey and um, have the tools in their toolbox to really advocate for themselves and navigate the journey. We also provide support group um, and they uh, before COVID they were live, you know, when I say live in person meetings, but now we're doing, of course, Because of COVID, Mm -hmm. we are doing um, digital meetings, either by conference call or by Zoom. Mm -hmm. Our numbers have increased a lot because, you know, access, right? The women and couples can access from all over. And you don't have to be from a particular state now to participate in a live meeting. In addition to that, we pray every Mm -hmm. Monday morning Mm -hmm. at 7 Central, 8 um, Eastern, and it will be 5 o'clock Pacific time. And um, we pray over women for about 30 30 minutes, Mm. hearing the the concerns of their heart, as well as hearing the joys of their heart when Mm. they become parents through whatever path. Also, what we do is that in the current 13 states that we're in, every state that we are in, we have partnerships with physicians as well as other service providers like mental health providers, acupuncturists, Mm -hmm. um, as well as, you know, fertility clinics. Because our goal is to make sure that we have people who are in place and positioned in each one of those states that we can refer our women and couples to that um, we know that they're going to be treated rightly. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So um, in the African-American community, there is a lot of medical distrust and mistrust due to, you know, some of the experiments such as Tuskegee experiments. Um, You know, the many ways that we know that uh, women of color, and particularly black women and, co- black women and men, have been taken advantage of in yeah. the medical system.
1: If you're not familiar, the Tuskegee experiment, known officially as the Tuskegee Study of Untreated Syphilis in the Negro Male, was a study that began in 1932. After being recruited by the promise of free medical care, 600 men uh, were enrolled in the project. The stated purpose of the study was to better understand the natural course of the disease. The men were never given diagnoses, and because of that, unknowingly passed the disease on to family members. They were given sham treatments, and in fact, even though in the 40s penicillin became commonly used uh, to treat syphilis, none of them were ever given this treatment. The men were told that the experiment was going to last six months. Instead, it lasted 40 years. By the time it ended, 28 participants had died from syphilis. A hundred more had passed away from related complications. At least 40 spouses had been diagnosed with it, and the disease had been passed on to 19 children at birth. But distrust in the healthcare system started long before Tuskegee. In Antebellum South, doctors would rent or buy enslaved people and perform medical experiments on them, including brain surgery, electric shock, amputations, all without anesthesia. Graves were frequently robbed. In 1989, construction workers unearthed 10,000 bones from a basement belonging to the Medical College of Georgia in Augusta. These bones were evidence of five decades worth of grave robbing to supply medical students before and after the Civil War with cadavers for anatomical lessons. And then there's J. Marion Sims, often referred to as the father of gynecology, who in the 1840s bought enslaved women and used them like guinea pigs for his untested surgical experiments. He repeatedly performed genital surgery on black women without anesthesia because according to him, black women didn't feel pain. Obviously, that's false. But that assumption still exists in our medical system today. Not overtly, implicitly. In fact, there are many racial biases that infect our system, and it's no wonder there's a general distrust of healthcare providers amongst black people. Unfortunately, I don't have any references for all of you because I copied and pasted all of this information from five or six different articles into a Google Doc and I will never ever learn to include references. But Google it yourself and you'll be horrified by what you learn. So, and then
2: also the way we have been spoken to and treated um Many of us have been treated indifferently mm-hmm. by medical providers, as if we're not we have no value. That um, we really can't think for ourselves. Yeah. Um, we're so uneducated. I mean, there's been so many things. You know, racism and yeah, um, and
1: also in the in the actual numbers of um, yeah. infant mortality rate, and maternal mortality rate, all of that, all of that. Yes. So how could you, you not know, mistrust? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So. Oh. All of that really impedes upon our ability to mistrust not all doctors but some. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things we do is to make sure we vet the people that we are working with to ensure that the people that Fertility for Color Girls recommends that they are that they will be treated rightly. Yeah. And that they will be cared for and that they will be met right where they are with you know with cultural sensitivity, right? Yeah. And so So we do that. We have partnerships also with pharmaceutical companies. One of the pharmaceutical companies, EMD Serrano, which is a huge partner Mm -hmm. for us. They work with us. They give us free medication grants so that we can provide those grants to women and couples who do not have the wherewithal to, um, you know, to pay for medications. Over the last three or four years, we have been blessed to give about over $70,000 away in family building grants to women and couples from all over this country to help them move forward with IVF or IUI, whatever treatment or even adoption or surrogacy or donors as well. Oh my goodness. And then um, we've even had people to donate embryos to Fertility for Colored Girls as a part of like when we do our annual fundraiser so that we can give to women who might be in need of an embryo who have not been able to you know, get an embryo. And so two years ago, A couple gave us an embryo and this couple uh, gave us an embryo and a couple also received a grant, some Mm -hmm. financial resources, as well as medication resources. And they now are parents of a one year old son.
1: Oh, so wonderful. So, um,
2: you know, those are some of the services that we provide. Just recently, um, Kind Body Fertility Clinic partnered with us in the midst of both this pandemic and this protest around Black Lives Matter Um, Because they realize that black women experience infertility at two times the rate as our Caucasian brothers and sisters, Mm -hmm. and we are less likely to access care. And so, and that we're really underrepresented, not only in the fertility um, world, but also in the, um, even in the marketing and promotions. And so they're like, you know, what can we do to help? And so they just recently donated $50,000 in treatment. To your organization?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, and my so we goodness. right now.
2: Yeah. So right now, people all over the country can apply for these grants and we will be sharing who receives those grants September 15th. We have over 200 people who have applied over what oh, one, 131 people applied in 24 hours.
1: Oh, my gosh. And Is so, there an so, application
2: deadline uh, uh September first is the application deadline. Okay. If people are interested, they can go to www.fertilityforcolorgirls.org to apply for the grant. Okay, you can be married or unmarried, mm-hmm. LGBTQ, trans. You know, everybody is available. It's open to them, yes everyone. And Wonderful. So, yeah. So Wait, those so are some of the Wait. So what's kind
1: body? I thought that was a food. Kind Body
2: is a fertility clinic. They are a new fertility clinic. I was thinking about Kind Bar. Kind Bar. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So Kind Body is a fertility clinic who has been started by women and who is led by women. Oh, awesome. It's like modern day fertility clinic. They have like mobile services, Mm -hmm. you know, pop up fertility clinics, but they do have fertility clinics right now. In New York, I think San Francisco, and I'm, for, I'm sorry, I forget the other state. And they are on their way. They are evolving into states across the country. Wow. Okay. Yeah, but cool. they are led by all women, and it's an it's an idea that has been birthed by women. That's beautiful. And so, yeah, so there, it's really cool, and it's been a blessing to work with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's those are some of the you know resources that we offer as an organization. We're not exclusive. We are an inclusive organization, and our target group is black women and couples. But we minister and support anybody that comes our way.
1: Mm-hmm. What if I have any listeners who are of, co- like, uh, people of color, but they're not religious? Is that something that should stop them? Oh, oh no, absolutely okay. not. They should come
2: to us anyway. Yeah. You know? Yeah. so and there's um, so many resources we, we, on your website yeah, as well We don't judge yeah we don't judge or critique yeah, yeah. if someone is not you know religious or spiritual or you know doesn't identify with the same religious beliefs mm-hmm. that we have
1: we meet people where they are Have you noticed in the uh, over the years that you've had this organization I, I don't know that the conversation about fertility or infertility is becoming has become more, Has come more to the surface that women are less uh, worried about talking about it, women and men? Well, you know, we have
2: a few more people talking about it, but it is still so much taboo and shame. Yeah. Even with Michelle Obama, Mm -hmm. Gabrielle Union and Tara Banks and the number of people sharing. The reality is, is the everyday black woman. There's still a lot of shame and people are still struggling to break the silence. Yeah. As I stated on the Zoom call the other day, I think that we have to continue to have these types of uh, educational moments, to share stories, to just continue to break the silence, because I think that it's in our stories. There's so much story power in storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There's healing and there's hope given. And then people also understand the more they hear it, they're able to say, hey, I'm not the only one going through this. Yeah. And so, you know, so even if one person a day is impacted, I say job well done to us. Right. It doesn't mean that our job, our our work is over, but it means that we have impacted one more life and one one layer of this onion. Another layer of this onion Mm -hmm. is coming off. And so for me, I, I think that's been very, you know, it's very, very important the sharing of stories, posing questions like on social media to begin to, you know, to continue to get people talking. Yeah. Or just even if they're not talking to make sure they're watching, because I know a lot of people follow, but they may not say anything. Mm -hmm. But I do know it's the conversations are resonating with them. Yeah. And so I think that's important. And I think that's also why I don't know if you know, Molly, I um, have a book called Hold On to Hope. No. Yeah, I have a book. Yeah. Amazing. And it's an amazing book. It, and it is amazing book. It's really the first book that names uh, fertility as a black woman's issue. It has 28 stories by African-American women all over this country who talk about their, their fertility, their faith and their fight to become mothers. What's and it called? So, hold on to hope. It's called hold on to hope okay. stories of black women's fertility, faith, and Fight to Become Mothers. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And people can get that book at org. And the um, the physical copy or the hardback is not sold on Facebook, but they can get a copy if they, you know, they want to listen to it on their, you know, their iPad. Okay. So that version is there on Amazon. Okay. But um, I wrote that because, again, I believe stories are so powerful. And I felt that particularly African-American women in the community needed to hear the stories from women who had different types struggle with different um, types of diagnoses regarding infertility, mm-hmm. they needed to hear about how they wrestled with their faith, and then the path that they chose to become parents. So, mm-hmm. in the book, the book is separated by the different paths. So, it starts off with like people who, you know, struggle wow. with infertility but ultimately became pregnant naturally. It then it talks about you know it has a section on women who used IVF, who used IUI, who used donors, um, some who were unmarried, some who are married, people who used to, you know, end up going through the path of adoption, mm-hmm. women who, t- you know, used the path of gestational carrier. Each path is shared in the book. And then it's a section on how to make love last during infertility for people who are, you know, married. Yeah. It also has a section for religious or uh, faith communities on what pastors or religious leaders or faith communities on how they can minister to the needs of couples. It has a glossary. It has questions and, you know, things for um, women who are struggling on what to ask and what not to ask and what not to do on the journey. Um, it has a whole glossary. So the book is very comprehensive. Um, And we have a lot of fertility clinics as well who have purchased a book and placed it in their clinic Mm -hmm. because they believe that the book is very holistic and very comprehensive and helpful for their patients who are struggling with infertility. And so it's really it's really a great book, not just because I have anything to do with it.
1: It's a great resource. It's just a great resource. I can't yes, believe you is. had the energy to do all these things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really God's grace that
2: I was able to yeah. do it. So, yeah, yeah, we were able to pull it together. And I'm grateful for the women who also contributed to make that, you know, dream a reality. So, Yeah. yeah.
1: On my show, I'm I'm always very open about all of my stuff, and and I think one of the things that I've discovered over the last two years is that I feel like being open has become sort of the theme of my show, and and a theme that I live by, and I encourage other people to live by is to is to share, and the freedom that you feel when when you start sharing your story with others, and the realizing you're not alone, and discovering that about discovering that you're not alone. I think it's so helpful. The more that people share, the more that they're open, the more that you will all benefit from it.
2: And I agree. And that's what I try to, I'm so sorry.
1: (laughs) That's always
2: what I try to encourage women and share with them that, you know, there is hope and that you are not alone. There are so many people that are on this journey with you, and even for us as Fertility for Color Girls, we, we, we want people to know that we are holding up your arms. We are rooting for you. And um, we're here to support you, provide you with the resources that you need. And it's a space where you you're not going to be critiqued, Yeah, you know, but you can just be who you are. You can cry and be weepy. You can laugh. You can cuss if you need to. Whatever you need to do with us. You can do it. But just know that you're not alone. And if you really believe that you are called to be a mother and a parent, just know that there are so many options. There are so many paths. And I always tell people who I'm coaching and counseling that the goal is to become a parent. Right. And so that's our goal. That's what we're shooting for. Our goal. And we have so many options to get there. Mm-hmm. Let's, deter- let's determine together which option or which path you have wow. been called to take mm-hmm. to become a parent. Mm-hmm. And so if we can look ah. at it like that, and then when you see the options, you become, you know, even exciting to say, hey, I got so many options. I only thought I had one, but really I got about five or six. Yeah. I just have to determine which one is for me yeah. and, to, and to be open to to that path and that option to get me to the final goal, which is a baby who, regardless of the path, the path is just different. It's not deficient. Mm -hmm. And when I obtain the goal, I'm not going to love this baby any less because this is the gift that God has given me. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, I think that, you know, that's what I, I want women to understand. You know what I mean? We don't have to put ourselves in a box But we can open up the box and just begin to walk until we obtain, you know, the goal that, you know, we have in mind for us. And then also understand that even walking the path, you know, it it may not come when you want it to come. But understand that you are being prepared at each and every step of the way Mm. as you work to obtain the goal. You know, I you know, in as much as I wanted a baby at 37. And I wanted that first IVF to work. The truth is, is that I wasn't as prepared as I thought I was to be the mother of this gift that I have now. And so those seven years really prepared me, prepared me mentally, emotionally and even spiritually to be able to be the mother that um, I am to my daughter. I'm not a perfect mother and I'm growing and learning from her every day. But without the experiences and the journey that I have, I don't even think I would be as strong as I am, as strong as I am today. Yeah. So I'm I'm grateful and I wouldn't take anything for my journey.
1: I feel like it's been like that for me as well, um, that I'm so much stronger now because of what I've been through. But also had my first pregnancy lasted, I'd only tried four times this podcast, which is like I'm not doing all of this, you know, for the sake of a a podcast but but um if i'd stayed pregnant and had a successful pregnancy i would not have been able to help the women that i've been able to help and feel that camaraderie and 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 i don't want to toot my own horn but inspire other people and let other people know that they're not alone i do feel like i've where people tell me all the time that i've helped them so i yeah would not have been able to reach the people that I've reached had everything gone an easy way. Now yeah, you said so- you you wouldn't change anything. <laughs> I might change it though. <laughs> but um, yeah. but yeah, I, just I am grateful for this every- journey though, for sure.
2: Yeah, and I, I guess I just believe you know I've come to a point in my life. I'm about to be fifty. Oh my goodness! Um, in December. Wow. And I, I don't believe that anything happens by coincidence, mm-hmm. right? And so that's why I say I wouldn't change anything because, you know, it's not by coincidence. And I believe that even in the places I may have made a mistake or, you know, I may not have done for me what God really wanted me to do. I believe that God still worked it out for my good Mm -hmm. and for other people's good, because just like you, um, my story and my journey is not just for me. But it it is for others as well yes. in us creating community and us being a blessing to other people so that, again, they can be life and they can live life and they can be encouraged and have hope in their in their in their life. Mm-hmm. And so if I wouldn't have been through all of this, mm-hmm. I pro- I would have never started Fertility for Colored Girls, right. nor would 200 plus people be parents today Right. because of the organization and thousands of people, their lives would not be encouraged or inspired because that again, I'm not to my own right. own horn either. Um, I do understand also I have other people that are in this movement with me. I have partners on this journey and people even such as yourself that I have met as a result. And, um, we're impacting the world together, but it took me to have this condition of existence and this experience that I had with infertility, this giant of infertility for, um, you know, me to start this organization. Yeah. So if I didn't go through what I went through, I also wouldn't have my daughter, yeah, right? And so this is the very special gift that God had for me, but I had to go through in order to get to her. Yeah. And so, you know, and so that's why I say I would take nothing. I won't take nothing for it, you know, because God has been very good to me um, and very gracious, you know, in spite of everything that's happened. Mm-hmm. And and it's not happened for naught, Yeah. Um. I am, as one of my um, professors, the late Miles uh, Jerome Jones would say, I am the better because of everything that I've been through. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I should let you go and I'm going to go to acupuncture. Okay. Yay! (laughs) Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to do this. And I'm sorry that it had to be so. Oh, no, don't
2: apologize. It happened how it was supposed to happen. That's what we have to believe,
1: right? Yes. So we're not even going there,
2: girl. Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) No need to
2: apologize. So, Uh, yeah.
1: Thank you. So you you have
2: a great day. Thank you. Just keep laughing and taking care of yourself and
1: keep me posted. I can't wait to hear. Thank you. Um, but it was such a wonderful, it was so wonderful to hear your story and hear all about Fertility for Colored Girls and what an incredible organization. It's so wonderful that you've done that. Thank yeah. you
2: so much. And thank you for your work too. Thank you. Thank you.
1: <laughs> all right. We'll talk right. soon. Ah, Have a okay, wonderful day. Ah. Bye. Well, that's our show for the day, everybody. Thank you so much again, Reverend Stacy, for everything that you do and for taking the time to talk to me. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. I hope I have some new information for you next week. But I don't know. Please send me your good thoughts, your prayers, your vibes, whatever you like to do. If you want to subscribe to the Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash spermcast and you'll have access to all kinds of goodies. This week, you can see my transfer. It's up on the Patreon. Sometimes you can read ramblings and outbursts from me. Always lots of updates. You'll be the first to know. You can also support the show by sharing it with your friends. Text them. Tell them about the show. Tell them about an episode that that you think that they might like. Or share it on social media. Another way to support the show is to Venmo me, if you like, at molly-hockey. And another way to support the show is to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. Need to reach me? You can email me at spermcast at gmail.com. You can leave me a voicemail or text me at 323-741-1818. Or you can find me on social media uh, at at spermcast. I'll have links to all of the things that we talked about in the show, Fertility for Colored Girls, the website, Hold On to Hope, the book, Kind Body Fertility, Reverend Stacy's favorite doctor, Dr. Elena Trukacheva. I can't remember how she said it. I'll have links to all of that stuff in the show notes, plus all of my contact information in there. And, of course, links to my Venmo and my Patreon. Okay, folks, I'm going to head out. I love you so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. And, um, yeah, send me those good thoughts. Love ya. Bye. He could be bald and bearded, shorter, or tall. Funny, smart, love basketball. From gay, straight, black, to white. Tiny eyes with an underbite. I just need sperm. sperm cast.
0: An ERIO's production. Powered by ACAST.